Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Come on, how many are happy in this place? All right. Well, listen, how many old-fashioned have your Bibles with you? Come on. It's Chris. Does Chris have his Bible with him? I know he always does. There you go. How many have old-fashioned Bibles? Wave at me. Come on. I know I know Enrique does. Man, I feel convicted sometimes. I got my Bible. I got these two things are my Bibles, but I still read it, so praise the Lord. You know, don't judge me. So those of you who have your Bibles, lift your hands. <laughs> lift it up. Lift it up. Lift up your Bibles. I want to see them. Okay. All right. Those of you who use their phones have your Bible. Now, now, those of you who have your Bibles, keep your Bibles raised. Now, those of you who use your phone of your Bibles, raise your hand. Come on, millennials. Oh, come on. Some of the older people looking cool this morning. All right. Well, <laughs> if you have your Bibles or your iPhone, I'm going to get ready to release the word. And here's what I ask. Here's what I ask before I pray. Listen. Shh, shh, shh. I'm asking if you're at church. Turn to somebody and say, if you're at church, might as well listen. Come on. Come on. Turn to someone and say, if you're at church... Let's not talk or be on social media during the sermon. Unless there's something real good that I'm quoting. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready for the word? Come on, that was 10 of you. Are you ready for the word this morning? Mark chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. And then we're going to jump from from. From 22 to 34 to 35 to 42, we're going to skip like about 11 verses that are in the middle there that I'm going to go back to in just a little bit. But I want to tell you that this is burning in my heart because I'm actually closing my series when Jesus is in the house. And I'm going to talk about something very powerful. But but I want to warn you, you're going to shout in the beginning, right, when I introduce the, the, the subject matter. But that's just easy. Like the subject matter that I'm going to talk about is easy. And I'm actually going to leave it to the end. But I'm going to actually talk about steps to get to this subject matter today that's going to really help you. Okay? Now, everybody says Jesus is in the house. Now, we've talked about so many things that happen when Jesus comes in the temple, when Jesus comes in the house, when he comes in the synagogue, he cleanses, right? And, he, and I know this seems like forever, but uh, we had an incredible service last week. How many were here? That was... Prophet Stephen just called out people by name, and he just confirmed so many things. Um, but today, I'm going to end our series with Mark chapter 5, and I want to encourage you as a pastor today. I'm going to give you some real practical life things, but also some very strong spiritual things, okay? So you could take home. Now, I want you to read this with me, verse 22. If you're there, say amen. amen. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue named Jairus by name. And when he saw him, Jairus fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Well, now, I want you to skip now to verse 35, okay? Verse 35. Is my mic a little loud? No? A little bit. Can we, can, Zach, can I get some help back there? Uh, just uh, just uh, my mic, just turn it down a little bit in the house, just a teeny bit. Verse 35. When he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Listen to me now. Why trouble the teacher any further? I need you to really hone in on these next couple of verses, all right? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, 
only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. I want you to underline this in your Bibles. Then he came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Now watch this. And saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, now I want you to really harp on this. I'm not going to reveal too much because I'm going to break it down. Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Everybody say sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when Jesus had put them all outside, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Say this with me. He put them all outside. I want you to say this because I'm going somewhere with this. Say, Jesus put them all outside. He took the father and the mother and the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great ama amazement. I feel like shouting this morning. Because Jesus came into the house, and when Jesus comes into the house, here's the first slide. Put it up there. He desires to resurrect things that used to be alive in you and are dead in you. When Jesus comes into the house, he desires to resurrect the things in our lives that were once alive but have now become dead. Now, that is the exciting part, and that is the glorious part. He's coming to resurrect us, but I want to give you some revelation that there are things that Jesus did before he resurrected this girl that parallel what we need to do before we see resurrection in our personal lives. Now, listen to this. This is amazing to me because... In life, there are things that, please hear me, this is so burning in me, that once in our Christian life used to be alive that are good. I'm not talking about things that used to be alive that are dead. Those, needs, those things need to be dead, like anger and lust and, and bitterness. I am not talking about that this morning. I am talking about there are several things, if you look back, and sometimes it's hard to look back because it... It brings us a sense of failure sometimes when we look at our lives now and realize that there are certain things that are not alive in our lives that used to be alive when we first got saved. Like our passion for the Word of God. Come on. Like our passion for fasting. Like our passion for holiness. Like weeping and crying and spending alone time with Jesus in your room and the tears would fall down your Bible and you had very little responsibilities of ministry and you had no and you were a nobody and now all of a sudden you have all these responsibilities and you have all these commitments and you have all these duties and all these expectations and somewhere along the the line either decisions you've made decisions someone made for you pain right pain or uncontrollable circumstances happen in your life that what used to be alive no longer is alive in there. What used to be alive and good is no longer there. And if, you, if, you, if you're real with me, that reality could cause 
people to be discouraged because we realize, man, I used to be on fire, or I used to have a great relationship with my kids, or I used to have a strong, loving family. I used to have a strong marriage, but those things are dead now. It brings us to a place of almost sensing, feeling that we have failed because in our lives we used to be strong either spiritually, some of us we used to be strong physically, and now we find ourselves not having that strength anymore. And listen, that reality of remembering how strong you were and not being as strong before, that could be torturous in and of itself. Why? Because your mind still remembers what you used to, but your body is incapable of, of going where your mind remembers that it used to do. Whether it's emotionally, spiritually, I see people all the time, I've lost my fire, I lost my edge, I don't know where to find it anymore. And so the, the torturous part sometimes is that, is that when we realize there are some things that need to be resurrected in our house, in our temple, that if we're really honest with ourselves, we miss those things that used to be alive in us. And if we're not intentional about allowing the Lord to resurrect those things, it could cause us to have some sense of failure in our lives. Because we realize, well, I'll never get to that place again. Oh, I'll never be that strong again. Oh, I'll never read the Word of God. And, and I know, I, I hear this all the time by older generation, and it's so sad for me to hear when an older generation that is burned out by, by life, and they see a zealous person praising loudly, they'll say, oh, that only lasts for a couple of years, and then life will hit you. We're already setting people up for death in our hearts when things should be alive in us. It's not normal for us to start with a, with a hot fire in, in our passion or a hot fire in our marriage or, hot, or, a, or a good relationship with our family and then end up dead in those areas. That's not normal. Now, we could take powerful clues from what Jesus did right before. Listen, this is where I'm going. I'm going to give you two, break down two major things that's really going to, I believe, going to he bring healing to you. We could take powerful clues. Let's take this next slide up. From what Jesus did right before he raised this little girl from the dead, that parallel what we need to do before the Lord starts resurrecting things in our own lives. Oh, this is a recipe. Everyone wants resurrection, but no one wants to pay attention to the recipe that Jesus did. I'm talking about in just this story. In Mark chapter 5, if you pay close attention, before Jesus resurrected the girl, he did a couple of key prophetic things that we have to do in our lives. Are you ready for this? The first thing that Jesus did, actually not the first thing. The first thing is going to be actually the second point. But one of the things he did before he entered the house and said, Talitha Kumi. The, the thing before he did the resurrection of this girl that was dead is that he had to put them all outside. I want to talk to you this morning about the first point. If you're ever going to see Jesus resurrect things that used to be strong in your life, you've got to put distractions outside the door. I'm calling today the putting outside of, the, of, of your house in the form of distractions. Everybody say distraction. 
Before Jesus resurrected, the Bible says he put them all outside. That almost seems rude that Jesus, a loving Jesus, would say everyone out. The Bible says he put them all outside. In other words, he said, I ain't going to start till all of you guys leave. There was, there's dynamics in the room that where Jesus was that were in a way, now yes, he's the, the resurrection and the life, but in a prophetic way, could not stay in the room if real resurrection and life was about to happen in that place. Oh, come on, come on. He, he, watch this, watch this. Before, put that next slide up there. Before Jesus resurrected the girl in the house, he put out all the distractions and the distractors. Watch, we're going to go back to Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to micro, micro that, that whole long story that I just read, and I want you to see this for yourself. Mark chapter 5, it's going to be up on the screen, verse 40. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother. Remember, this is before the, 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 he resurrected. He had to deal with some stuff. And those who were with him entered the child where he was lying. Listen, he had to put them all outside and get rid of distractions. Look at me. It is vital for your emotional and mental health that you start identifying your distractions and start putting them outside. It is vital for your mental health and your emotional health that you and I start identifying the distractions, the distractors that are, that are currently in your life, and you've got to make a conscious decision to drive them outside your house. I have news for you. They did not drive themselves out. Jesus had to drive them out. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus is here. I'm, I'm a distraction. I got I to gotta go. I got to let you do your thing. No, no, the distractions were there. And it's only when Jesus says, get out, that the, everyone went out. And he did not start resurrecting and bringing back to life what was dead until he dealt with the distractions. There's some things in our life that we've got to put outside. We've got to identify and put them outside. Come on, say, put them outside. And we, because if not, we won't be focused on our mission to, to ask God to resurrect things in our life that need to be resurrected. Remember, he was on a mission to the house for one purpose, to resurrect that dead girl. He followed a desperate father that says, I need life in my child again. And on his way there, he saw the weeping and the commotion, and he drove them out. So before we talk about the big resurrection that, that, that happened, that's going to be at the end of my message, I'm going to talk about what I, there's a lot, but what I feel, and I didn't read this in a book, I just, in prayer, I just actually, th these three things highlighted to me. So I'm going to highlight this morning Three major distractions that we need to put out of our house. Three major distractions that we need to put out of our own house, our own heart. Okay? Here are some examples of some major distractions that we need to put them out. Say, put them out. Now, I want you to feel with me because it's not going to seem too spiritual, but I'm going to break this down real good. Number one, the first distraction, and this is a silent killer because it's not the heavy sins. It's not the heavy sins. It's an inability to manage your time. Wait, wait, wait. I know, I know that's not a real, you know, it's not real deep, but it's going to be deep. I promise you. 
an inability, watch this, if you are available for everything and everyone, whenever they need you, it may sound spiritual, but it's not productive, nor will it lead to fruitfulness. Come on, you could quote that on Twitter if you want me to, come on. If you're available for everyone and everything, it may sound spiritual, but it's not productive. Being available to everyone, come on, whenever they need, is a recipe for disappointment and failure. Not being able to manage your time. Let me put it this way. When other people manage your time for you because you cannot say no to them. Because of your love for them or your faithfulness, when other people rule your calendar, you will never do anything of value. Uh, you know what? I think we need to put that up. I, need to, I think we need to put that up. You are never going to get anything of value accomplished if you're being run by somebody else's calendar. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Now, look, 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 there was a debate. I was sharing this with my, with my team in the, in the morning here. There was a debate I read years ago about uh, the availability. Now, now, don't get mad at me because some of you guys may actually think this other way, and I don't blame you. I get it, but I want you to hear me for a second. There was a debate I read about years ago about the availability of pastors and leaders, and how available should they be? There was a debate I read about. And, of course, this debate went back and forth, back and forth. And one person said, pastors and all kinds of leaders, worship leaders, youth pastors, every kind of leader in the church need to be available at all times for all the people because that's what they signed up for. And that's the call of God in their life. And that's the price they had to pay. And that sounds really spiritual. Honestly, it does. It really does. And so they kept going back and forth, back and forth in this debate, you know, and, and, and leaders and pastors, because if they're not, they're just hirelings. If they're not available for everybody, then what are they in the ministry for, right? We've heard those stories before, and we feel guilty. Come on, I'm not the only one. Some of you have felt guilty because you've had so much demands on, placed on you because you felt that you're going to be ineffective if you don't answer everything, everyone's answers or questions. And so this person was like, oh, you know, pastors and leaders should be available at all times. And this one, and going back and forth, and then this one older man says, um, um, may, may, I, may I suggest something? I love what he said. He says, may I suggest something? He goes, he goes if we're always available to everyone, we'll have nothing to give anyone. Thank you for those five hand claps. Watch. If we're available for everyone, we will eventually be, have nothing to give anyone. Anyone. That means we won't have anything to give our spouse. We won't have anything to give our kids. We, have no, we won't have anything to give because we're giving ourselves to everyone and we'll have nothing to give anyone. And here's a little secret. When we get to that point, ministry is unenjoyable. Come on, those of you who've been in ministry, I could talk to you for a second. Business, if you've been in business and you're always run by somebody's need, like this whole thing, the customer's always right, the customer's always right. Where, is, where did we get that from? The customer's not always right. Now, yes, we have to have a nice attitude during that, but the customer doesn't know the policies of the business. And we can't be a slave to everyone's desire and whim and wish because some of you, without you knowing it, your, I've never, I don't think I've ever said this at, at RCC, your, oh boy, 
I, I just don't want you to confuse. You're faithful to a detriment. I want you to be faithful. But some of you, in the name of faithfulness, don't know when God says, don't do it. You have to guard your time. That is one of the greatest distractions. You want to be, you want to put something out of your life? Put your inability to manage time and have everyone rule your calendar for you. I guarantee you, if you focus and discipline on getting that right, you will not be burned out. Actually, as a matter of fact, I, I, want, I want you to say this. I wrote this, I wrote this down somewhere. Okay, I want you to say this with me. Okay. Um, being available, say this with me, being available to everyone will eventually break me down and burn me out. Hello? I'm going to say that again. Being available to everyone and everything will eventually break me down and burn me out. Do you know that not even Jesus, our Savior, had to answer to every single whim and every single thing. Do you realize that he was very strategic to everything? He did not let people run his calendar. If you allow people to run your life because of a sense of guilt, that you have to be there for everybody. You know, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. This is just coming to me. It's not in my notes. Years ago, I was so passionate to help people, and I was getting burned out, but I was helping people. Isn't it funny that you can help people and get burned out all at the same time? They're getting on fire, and they're stealing your fire because you're not even getting replenished. So I'm, I, I was a youth pastor, and I was talking to people. I'll never forget. And I was so discouraged by this person that I was talking to that I felt they were, they were, their sin, I was more upset at their sin than they were at their, their sin. I was like, don't you see what you're doing? Yeah, but it's, you know, I mean, God's going to forgive me. Like, literally, I'm like, no, but this is, this is going to destroy you. I was so upset with, with, with their sin. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm like, I, I, I never forget what I heard in the, in the chair. I'm, like, I, I, I'm counseling this person, and I hear in my spirit, stop trying to be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm like, in, in, you know, private conversation, I'm not, I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit. I know you're, I'm not the Holy Spirit. He goes, your job is not to change them. Your job is you're trying too hard. I know you love them. You're trying too hard. Just release the word, let me do the rest. One plants, one waters, God gives the increase, right? Now, guys, this advice is not only for pastor and leaders. This advice is for all of you. You cannot... You want to deal with a major distraction in your life? Stop feeling guilty because you are, have this pressure and a slave to everyone and everything. Now, listen, there's a balance. Make sure you honor, all right? But make sure you're not a slave. And that includes, you know what that distraction includes? This right here too. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. Come on. That means, that means that you don't have to be available with the 500 texts that you guys have and that you feel guilty and that you're always... Listen, you're, you're on a mission. You're on a mission. You're doing something. You get a text. What do you do when you get a text? Stop your mission, right? You're, 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 you're working. And if you're like someone like I used to be, because I no longer do this, I felt like I had to respond right there. How many feel that way? I feel that way, right? Okay, the rest of you come into the altar call for lying, some, some of you. <laughs> now, some of you are good at that. But, but so, no, 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 let me explain. Some of you don't even see those texts. So that's good. Yeah, it just kind of, yeah, that's a bonus on itself. You're like, oh, crap. Oh, well, <laughs> it just saved me some headache, right? But with people like me, 
I always see them. And so this is like that antsiness of, now watch, I'm studying, I'm counseling, I'm doing something. There's been times where the Lord has rebuked me because I'm in the middle of a, of a meeting. I'm, I'm like this, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. First of all, that says to that person that I don't value them. Secondly, I am constantly being distracted by these phones and text messages, and I'll never get anything done. You have to put them all outside. Now, amen. I want, now, I'm just giving you an example, but you have to identify what is your biggest distraction right now that God is telling you to put outside. To some of you, the distraction is in the form of, uh-oh, a temptation. Sometimes that is a distraction because you've opened the doors to some things, and now it's, it's become desirable for you, and it's become a distraction for your goal and your mission. That's good preaching, Pastor George. Amen. So the second, the second, the second distraction is going to seem like the first one, but I'm going to break it down. All right, the second distraction that we need to put out of our house, out of our house, letter B, is being too busy. Now you say, well, that sounds like the first one. No, 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 no. The first distraction spoke of letting other people manage your life. This distraction speaks of the workaholic in you. This distraction speaks of what your choices, without any outside source. Come on, I'm preaching good this morning. Without any interruptions. This second distraction has to do with some of the, the passions that you currently have. And it speaks to the workaholic in the individual. Whether it's the workaholic in ministry. Come on. Whether it's the workaholic. I know, I know, I know, I know this may sting, but I'm trying to set you free. All in the name of working hard, some of you guys are being distracted. Okay, uh, you say, prove it in the Bible. Martha, Martha, you are distracted with too much serving. Wait, uh, I didn't think I could serve too much. Yes, you could actually serve too much at the expense of you sitting at Jesus' feet and relaxing and, and getting filled. But we are doers by nature. And we got to do, we got to do, we got to do. And if we're not careful, we will get our identity by doing, doing, doing. When Jesus said, it's done, done, done. We have gotten our identity by what we do. And many of you business owners, many of you ministry leaders, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't do a certain amount of things throughout the day, you feel ineffective. Well, says who? You could do two hours of effective work and do more than someone that's been just busy running circles for eight hours a day. You could be focused for two hours and get enough things done in two hours than someone who is just running around being a workaholic for eight hours a day and getting the same thing done as a person that just focused for two hours. Same with prayer. You could be in a prayer room for two hours and engage with five minutes. Yet you could, you, but yet you could be in a prayer room for 30 minutes and engage for 20. Because you're focused and your watch is not distracted. So the second distraction that we need to put out of our house, say put out the house. Whether it's in a business or ministry is being too busy. Now I want to say something that's going to be very sobering. Because in my private time the Lord spoke this to me and I just teared up. The Lord told me this about the second distraction for me, but also for you. He said, and I want to make sure I read, because I wrote it down. 
He said, being too busy is a distraction that will end up emotionally hurting you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that slowly, and I'm going to explain what I felt the Lord meant by that. Being too busy is a distraction that will end up emotionally hurting you. Emotionally hurting you. Why? Because you may end up losing things in your busyness that at the end of the day and at the end of your life, you will wish you had one more moment with them. Like being too busy for your kids' events. All in the name of being busy. Being too busy to have those date nights with your spouse. Come on, somebody. I know, I know, I know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to go there anyways. We all struggle with that. Being too busy helping other people when your old family is sinking. But man, you're a pro. We're a pro at saving other families. But your family is going down and down and down. Or how about this? This really got me when the Lord showed me this. This really got me. Being too busy to visit your family and your parents when you're married because you're too busy. I failed in that. I, I, feel, I, I feel like, man, I, I need to make more time to visit my parents. You know what's going to happen? You know why being too busy is a distraction that will end up emotionally hurting you? Because the day will come. Well, your spouse doesn't want to have dates anymore with you. Your kids no longer want to hang out with you when they used to want to hang out with you when they thought you were cool. Your parents will no longer be there. They passed away. And you're going to wish that you had one more moment with them. And you're going to wish that you weren't too busy in your life. You know that they told Billy Graham, they said, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do? They said, if I had to do one thing all over again, Billy Graham, he said, I would have chose to spend a little bit more time with my family. But I was so busy saving the world because of the call of God on my life that I, if, if I had to take one thing back, I would choose not to be so busy. Everybody say busy. Busy is a distraction that will hurt you emotionally. It's time to put that out of the house. Come on, say bye-bye to business. Not business, busyness, right? But I do want you to say this. It's hard. It's a hard thing to do. You just have to make a conscious effort about it. And then thirdly, th th thirdly before I go to, the, the, to my other main point. The third distraction we need to put out of our lives before we enter the, enter the house of resurrection is stress. Stress. Everybody say stress. Come on, no one wants to clap at that one. Because your clap is even stress. You're like. Everybody say stress. Now, now stress is something that is a huge distraction that needs to be put outside. How many have dealt with stress in some sort of way? Come on, come on, in some sort of way. Do you not agree that that needs to be dealt with and put outside or else you cannot have the, the things that need to be resurrected, resurrected in your life? Stress comes in many ways. For instance, in some of you, stress comes in the form of financial strain. Boy, is that stressful. Let me ask you something about stress. This is really powerful. Stress has the ability to cause you to be unfocused like almost any other distraction. Like, there's other distractions, but I'm talking about, like, you're, you're so 
not focus because the stress of a situation causes your gaze to focus it's like a magnet stress is like a magnet it cause it pulls your attention away from what you should be viewing to that problem right and so so financial stress sorry financial burdens causes stress say amen all right stress comes in the form of deadlines how many have had to meet a deadline in your life come on Come on. You've had to meet a deadline at work. You've had to meet a deadline at church. You've had to meet a deadline with your family. What happens when you're getting closer, especially if you're a procrastinator? <laughs> what happens when you start getting close to, <laughs> close to that deadline? You got to get stressed out. And by the way, stress on your insides doesn't feel good. You get irritable bowel syndrome. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be funny. You, stress causes your insides to be messed up. Your insides, your digestive tract. I'm talking about physical stuff, right? Stress comes in the form of, watch this, expectations to perform at a certain level. How many of you have had stress because you've had an expectation to perform at a certain level? This comes in a new job, in a new career, in a new business, even in a new ministry assignment. When someone's about to enter into a new ministry assignment, whether you know it or not, you have this expectation of what are they going to think about me? What are they going to think about? What are they going to think? And then stress comes, hits you, all right? And in case, and in, the, in, the, in, the, in many, including my case, stress comes in the form of pain. Physical pain, emotional pain, stress. Because when you are in pain, the majority of the things you think about is to try to get that pain out of you. And so it's very stressful on the body. Do you, have, you, have you ever, have you ever uh, known what a stress fracture is? Does anybody know what a stress fracture is? I saw an illustration one time of a piece of wood, right? And, and I was going to do it, but it was, I, just, I didn't want to, do, do, you know, put a dent into our wood. And there was a piece of wood one time, and they slowly started putting weights, like, like, like you know, the weights for the dumbbell. And the wood kind of just kind of sank, but you never saw anything. Then they put another 25 pound, and it just went, it kept going like that. And then... While the guy was talking, they put another weight until all of a sudden th there was this uh, almost a U shape, and, and, and the whole crowd was like, any moment now. And while the guy was talking here, <laughs> why? Because it could not handle. There was a certain, certain threshold that the wood could take, and once it had too much pressure, it broke. Relationships are wounded much longer than before they are broken. You, you are wounded longer before you break. When you actually break, it's not because you just woke up one morning and says, I'm done. It's because you've been pressurized for months and years, and you don't even know that pressure keeps mounting on you until one day, it can't happen anymore. So that is a distraction. Everybody say distraction that we need to put out. Is anyone getting anything this morning? Before Jesus gets into the house of resurrecting things in your life that used to be strong, he needs to deal with the distractions and the distractors. But you, you and I need to put them all outside. Jesus won't do that for you. You've got to do that. Come on, say, I've got to do that. And so how do you do that? One of the main things I've wrote down is how do you put them outside? Because I identify what to put outside. But how do you put them outside? To me, the main thing is define Sorry, discern the demands in your life. In other words, 
what is the most important things in your life that you've got to do, and then find out ways to delegate things that are important to you so that other people could carry the load with you. Because if you do everything by yourself, you will never get anything accomplished. Jesus was the master at defining these, these demands. Why? Because you would think that Jesus was get easily distracted. What I didn't read to you in that middle of Jerry's story, right? right? Remember when I told you Jerry's, so he came in, Jerry's came in, hey, come to my house. Jesus, come to my house, right? What I skipped on purpose was in the middle of Jesus going to, Jesus, to, her, to the house. Imagine you're Jerry's, all of you. And you come to Jesus and your daughter or your son is dead at the point of death. And Jesus actually says, I'm coming with you. You're like, Jesus is coming with me. He's, he's going to heal my daughter, my, my son who's dead. He's walking and in the middle of him finally getting his prayer request, this woman who has a need of issue of blood comes in and says to him, hey, hey, hey. She didn't care that he was on a mission. And it would appear that Jesus was distracted. But watch closely. He's like, look, look, look. I, 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 power came out of me. And you know the whole story, the, about 11 verses about the woman and, and telling her whole story. And he told her story. And then finally she got healed, right? By the time that story finishes, there was a servant that came to Jairus and said, hey, Jairus, listen. In other words, modern day language, you took too long. You took too long. Your girl is dead. Don't even bother. Just don't even bother. Jesus said, Jesus said, when he heard that, he says, don't be afraid, only believe. Okay? Now watch this. So when he came into the house, he dealt with the distractions. Now watch this. This is where it's going to get really good. He was going to get really good. Thank you. Right before he even dealt with the distractions, there's a secret that I didn't tell you that we all have to do before Jesus starts resurrecting things in our life that need to be resurrected, like our passion, our fire, our holiness, our marriages, our relationships. Come on, say amen. We've got to deal with the distractions, but Jesus dealt with something that's so powerful. Right before, so he comes in there, and I think you missed it because we read it fast. Jesus dealt with the right perspective. You have to have godly perspective in order to address the distractions so that God could eventually resurrect the things that are dead. Well, you say, what do you mean the, the perspective? You and I have to see our situation from a godly, heavenly, biblical perspective and not a natural one. Because when Jesus came to the house, they were wailing and they were crying. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, she's not dead. She's only asleep. See, Jesus knew in the natural that she was dead, but she, he chose to see the situation differently. He knew in the natural she was dead, but I'm not going to see it that way because I don't see like humans see because I see differently. I have a godly perspective on a situation. You see a dead person. I see a sleep person. It's all about perspective. Put that, put that slide up. In order to deal with distractions, you have to have the proper perspective. Come on, say perspective. Jesus knew that he, listen, why was Jesus able to say she's asleep? Not only because he's the resurrection and the life, 
Because he has all power. Come on, say all power. When we know that Jesus has all power and authority in every situation, even though it seems dead, we can look at things differently and have the right perspective. Put that, put, put that, put that slide up there. When we know that God has all authority, take a picture of this. In all situations, no matter how dead it may seem, in the natural, we have the right perspective. Oh, I'm going to shout this morning. I'm going to shout this morning. See, when you have a godly perspective, you can see a dead marriage and say, it's just asleep. Come on, come on. When, when, when you have a godly perspective, you could see and notice a dead relationship and said it's only sleeping for a little bit. When you have godly perspective, you could see a dead business and say it's only asleep for a little while, but it's going to rise up really soon. When you have a godly perspective, you could see a dead church. Come on, somebody. You could see a dead ministry and say it's not dead. It's just a little bit sleeping, but it's going to revive real soon. When you have godly perspective, you can see your rebellious child, your backslidden child, and say, they're not dead. They're just working on their testimony for a little bit. But soon, because of perspective, I see Jesus coming into the house and saying, daughter, son, arise. Before Jesus told everyone to get outside, he saw perspective that changed everything. It's funny how two people could see the same thing and have two different interpretations of what they see. The disciples saw five loaves and two fish. Jesus saw a buffet that could feed 5,000. Come on, Golden Corral and, and those people had nothing with what Jesus did. The disciples, it's all about perspective. Disciples said, what do you mean? Five loaves, two fish? Look at all these people. He goes, yeah, you see five loaves, two fish. I see a whole golden corral, heavenly buffet. With those five loaves, two fish, I'm going to feed 5,000. And not only that, you're going to have so much extra to take to your house. Elijah saw rain. The servant saw nothing. I see the sound. I hear the sound of abundance of rain. The servant was like, where? Right there. I don't see it. Same, God, same man of God. Hey, don't worry. Hey, 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 Elijah. They're, they're, they're surrounding us. They're surrounding us. They're surrounding us. Look at all those chariots. Look at all those horses. Calm down. Calm down. Don't you see? Seriously. Don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you see? There, that 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 we, we we got this. No, I don't see anything. We're about to die. <sighs> Lord opened his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he saw chariots of fire all around that camp. He said, There's more for us than those against us. What's that song? What's that song? Uh, um, said the little something to the lamb. Do you see what I see? See, we're in Christmas time. Do you see? What God sees in your situation, or do you see weeping and hollering and crying? That's rude for Jesus to say to a house that was celebrating the death of someone. Hey, she's not dead. She's sleeping, guys. Could you imagine if someone died in your house and a preacher said, why are you guys crying? 
You guys are, why, stop hollering. Did she just asleep? He's just sleeping. You'd be like, get out of my house right now. You know why? Because Jesus had the right perspective. He had the right perspective. Come on, say that with me. Say, Jesus has the right perspective. And I have to have the right perspective in my life. Why are you weeping, Jesus said. Why are you crying? She is not dead. I want to say this something. I want to say this. I want to say this. Be ready to be ridiculed for having godly perspective. The Bible says that when the moment Jesus said she is not dead, she is sleeping, the Bible says that they ridiculed him. Huh. Biblical perspective is offensive to those who only see in the natural. <laughs> Heavenly perspective is offensive to those who only see in the natural. And we call those people overly zealous, overly religious people. Because they're seeing in the spirit. And that's why the Bible says, but see things as they are, uh, th things that are not as though they are. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So here's, what, here's the thing. Most people that have a heavenly perspective usually get ridiculed by people that are only seeing in the natural. That doesn't give us a, a, a license to be holier than thou either. It doesn't give us a license to say, look, I'm seeing better than you. What I'm saying is you stay humble, but don't allow yourself to see things through the natural eye. Listen, I have been convicted over and over again for reacting to things that I see in the natural when God is saying you're reacting it because you don't see enough in the spirit. Oh, man. Jesus came in and said, she's sleeping. She's sleeping. Listen, I see it differently than you. I don't see this situation like you see it. My gosh. I don't see this marriage like you see it. I don't see this rebellious child like you see it. I don't see this financial problem like you see it. It's just sleeping. It's just sleeping. But I'm about to come in and say, arise, come forth. Arise, finances. Arise, business. Arise, relationship. Arise, kids. Arise. Godly perspective changes everything. Everything. You actually be more happier. So if anything, if, if, if any benefit you have, if that's the only benefit you have, wouldn't you take that anyways? Right? If, listen, if, if, if godly perspective at least say, even if, if you don't believe it 100%, and if you say, man, it, my finances are sleeping right now, at least it's going to make you feel happier than it's all dead. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? Ah, ah. That's what the people were crying in the house, and he had to put them all outside. I want to remind you, he did not put the people that were silent outside. He put the people that were weeping and crying and hollering and making a fool of themselves because he saw, they saw something different. I know that sounds hard. Than he did. Oh, this is my... Uh, What is it that you think is dead in your life? Start seeing it as temporarily asleep. What do you think? What has become dead in your life? What has become dead in your ministry? What has become dead in your family? 
say in your relationships. It's asleep. It's asleep. Well, no, it's dead. It's dead. It's over. It's over. No, it's not. It's asleep. But when Jesus comes in, he's going to resurrect this thing. But before he resurrects it, I have to deal with the distractions, and i got to see things the right way. Worship team, could you come up here? Come on, worship team. I feel the Holy Spirit. God wants to resurrect things in your life that have become dead. I know to some of you, this is a hard message, but it's a needed message. You cannot be satisfied with your Christian life with things that remain dead. Watch this. I, I, this was not in my notes, but I'm going to say something that is going to gross you out. It's going to gross you out. Okay. Listen, I'm going to warn you, but it's a point I'm trying to make. It's a point that I'm trying to make. What if I told you, what if I told you, listen, 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 I know this stings to some, but I want you to notice the very last step that Jesus did was resurrection. That was not the first step he did. He did two steps before resurrection. Hello? He identified the distractions and put them all outside, and he operated in perspective. Now watch this. I want to say something deep, and then I'm going to tell you the story, Okay? Everybody look at me. Perspective dictates your speech. Oh, this is good. Wait, 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 wait. Pers what you see dictates what you say. Because he saw from heavenly perspective, he could say she's only sleeping. Whatever and however you see things will dictate your speech pattern. I want to go on this side here. However you see things. Now, you say, how can you say that? I say that because I have been on both sides of the fence. I have operated and seen things in the, nat in the spiritual, and I've, seen, and I've operated and seen things in the natural. And I'll tell you what, even if my condition never uh, gets better, it's much more better for my soul if I choose to see things with a godly perspective. Why? Because at least my speech will change. Instead of saying, it's dead, it's not going to happen, I'm never going to get healed, I've tried all these doctors, I could just say, it's sleeping. One of these days, I believe Jesus is going to come up. Do you think that that guy said, what, 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 if, what if someone told you, hey, don't even bother Jesus anymore. Jesus, they said, don't even bother praying anymore. It's dead. That's what they told Jarius. They said, don't even come to the house anymore. Just accept your daughter's death. That's what the world wants us to do. Accept the deadness in your situation. Accept the deadness in your relationships. Accept the deadness in your finance. Come on, preach. Uh, 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 accept the deadness in your, in your relationship with your kids. Accept the deadness in your unholiness. Accept that that will never rise again. Accept that you will never get married again. Accept that you will never have a relationship again. Accept that you will never talk to that person again. Just accept it. It's dead. You cannot have that perspective or else it will eat you up. Now, here, here's the gross little analogy, but it's, 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 it's to get a point. Are you ready for this? Zoom in on me. Camera, zoom in on me. What if I told you after service? Now, this is going to sound insensitive, I'm, but I'm making a point. After service, I want you to go to the graveyard and dig up one of your dead family members' bones and hug them and kiss them. What? What's the, what's the reaction that comes in your mind? 
when I say those kind of things. That's demonic, <laughs> right? But most, but most importantly, to be honest with you, that's gross, right? You know what I say in the spirit? That's how God reacts when we try to resurrect something that he's deemed dead in our life. That he's deemed dead. But when he says, this is supposed to be alive, then that's when you have a different perspective. Because what needs to be dead in your life are things like lust. What needs to be dead in your life is things like bitterness. What needs to be dead in your life are things like anger. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes we have a reverse. Sometimes we're saying anger is only asleep, but righteousness is dead. We've, we've lost hope in restoration or in everything like that, and we give room for anger, and we give room for bitterness. And that's more alive than some other things. And I'm closing with this. Are you getting something this morning? Once Jesus viewed, put that last slide up there, guys. Once Jesus viewed the current situation with a proper perspective, say perspective, and he dealt with the distractions, say distractions, then he was ready to bring life and resurrection to that which was dead. But I want to say this because this is something that I wrote down and I didn't say, but this is this is, a, this is amazing. If we don't identify the distractions, we will never enter the house where resurrection and life is taking place. If we don't identify the distractions, we will never enter the house where resurrection and life is taking place. So watch this. Once Jesus dealt with perspective, say perspective. And then he drove all the distractions out. Say drive them out. Say he put them all outside. What is it that you need to put outside as I'm preaching? What is it that you need to put outside? Right? Then, then, and I'm closing with this, he entered the house. Now he was ready. All the, all the doubters and all the unfaith people and all the people that were competing with faith were all outside the house. And he only had a few. He said, Peter, James, John, mom, dad, come. That's the only people that came. All the other distractions were outside. Now, resurrection could happen because he dealt with perspective and he dealt with, with uh, the, the distractions, right? What are the things that need to be alive that used to be alive in God? I'm, I'm just going to write, write a few. There's so much more, but I'm just going to say a few. And you could actually fill in the blanks in your life if I don't share them, okay? Things in our life that used to be alive. Say this with me. There's things in my life that used to be alive for God but have become dead that God wants to resurrect you know what I see God doing I see God coming into your house I see God coming into your temple and he's saying to your passion and to your fire that was once alive arise come forth fire and passion of God I've dealt with it you've dealt with the distractions You've dealt with how you viewed things. Now let me come in. And that which you thought was never going to be strong again. Passion, fire, I say to you, arise. I see Jesus coming into some of you and saying, and speaking to that dead relationship that you have with your family, that dead marriage that you have, and saying, you think it's dead, but I say it's sleeping. And I say, marriage, come alive. Arise, 
Relationship with brothers and sisters that you haven't talked with in a long time. Relationship with family that you've, you have, you've been silent for years. I speak to those things. It's been sleeping for years. But now I say to those relationships, arise. Come forth. If you have the right perspective and you put out the distractions, let me resurrect them. I want to say one thing and one thing very clearly. It is not your job to resurrect it, so stop beating yourself up. You can't resurrect it. Pastor George, I've tried everything. That's your problem. You can't do it. You will come to the end of yourself until you realize he is the resurrection and the life. He, listen, he's the one who came into the room. The father couldn't do it. There's times I'm in my prayer time and I said, God, no one can heal me except you. No one can touch me. No one can resurrect me. No one can, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. No, I, I get to the point where like, look, God, nothing can, can touch me other than you. I've tried all the doctors. They do nothing. As a matter of fact, the person, the woman with the issue of blood tried all doctors and got worse. You got to get to a point where you are the only one who resurrects I see the Lord coming to your giftings that have been dead. I see the Lord coming to your giftings that have been dead. And you say, oh, they're dead. My calling is dead. I've run away from God. I haven't done my calling in years. I've been dormant in years. I got hurt by church hurt. And my gifts are dead. And the Lord says, your gifts are not dead. They're just sleeping. They're just sleeping. Arise, gift of God. Call of God. Call of God, arise in you gift of God come forth it's not dead I see him coming to your hunger I see him coming to your prayer life and he's saying it's not dead it's alive I see him coming to your holiness come on I see him coming to your your purity and he's saying it's not dead you may say, you never walk in purity again because you lost your virginity. I'll never walk in holiness again because I messed up too much. I never walk in holiness again because I've been mistrusted by God. No, God says, it's been sleeping. But if you deal with the distractions and if you deal with the right perspective, I'm about to go into your house and resurrect and say, Talita Kumi, arise. Come on, everyone, stand up. I want everyone to stand up. Come on. There are some things that God wants to resurrect this morning. Oh, Everyone lift up your hands all over this place. I want all the sounds of the instruments. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.